0: The second New Testament reading is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God for the people of God. Well, we are now in our second week of looking at the holy city. And all that that brought. And so if you'll remember last week, we talked about the Palm Sunday processional from the Mount of Olives down through Gethsemane that would then enter the holy city of Jerusalem. So today we're going to pick up the night after Jesus' arrest. So we'll basically be talking about Good Friday through Easter Sunday today in the holy city of Jerusalem. And there's quite a bit to go through, so buckle in and here we go. First of all, uh, you'll see this cross. You've probably seen this cross before, but I don't know if you've ever known that it is called the Jerusalem cross. Uh, I wore this stole today, which I brought in Jerusalem. This is the first time I have ever worn a stole. So there's there's something you get to experience with me. And you'll see the Jerusalem cross on that stole. So I bought this in Jerusalem uh, as a reminder of my time there and one that I might, who knows, bust out every now and again. Um, and we'll we'll just see. Now you just got to buy me your robe because I don't have a robe to wear uh, with it. This Jerusalem cross is special because it has meaning behind it. It's been on the Jerusalem coat of arms since probably the 12th or 13th century, so it dates back quite a ways. And what you'll see is you'll see a couple of things that you can take uh, as meaning. Uh, first of all, how many crosses do you see? Five. Very good. Uh, you see five crosses altogether, which traditionally we believe that these crosses are representative of the five wounds of Christ. So we've got two hands, two feet, and then the spear that entered the side. So those represent the five wounds of Christ on the cross. It is also believed that the four crosses surrounding the center cross are the crosses of the evangelists or the gospel writers. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could be symbolized by the four uh, around uh, this particular cross. And there are other interpretations that can go with it. We can talk about a cross being in the four corners of the earth, for instance, the four winds. The number four has quite a meaning in the scriptures, and I don't have time to uncover that today. But those are what we believe uh, are meant uh, when we see the Jerusalem cross. So this is something, whenever you see it, uh, this originated in Jerusalem. Uh, we started on one morning uh, walking, if you can see it right there, it's the Via Dolorosa. Okay, So that is the path in which Jesus walked to the cross. The Via Dolorosa is uh, something much more based in tradition and legend. It's not to say that Jesus didn't walk to the cross, but along the Via Dolorosa there are stations of the cross. There are stations where Jesus fell or where he met someone. And it's not to say these things didn't happen, but to know exactly where those occurred we don't know that for sure, but there is a path. that's actually walked every week by Christians called the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering to the cross. And so we walked that path as well through the old city of Jerusalem. So we started here, and boy, it went through some crazy territory. In fact, it went through a lot of shops and and markets, which I don't know if you know this about me, but like I really can't stand shopping. So this was like a nightmare for me. And a lot of these, what you're seeing, these are not necessarily you know wonderful souvenirs from the holy land you're probably seeing a lot of stuff that you can buy at dollar general quite frankly as we leave for the streets but these are the kind of streets that we had to walk through through the city of jerusalem um we'd go through and we'd, so we'd see all of these shops and it was crowded and in our survey at the very end of the trip they said what was one thing that maybe you could have done without or you didn't enjoy quite as much And you know what i said I said the Via Dolorosa. So I'm sorry. This, this is the part of the trip that I just, I wasn't as big a fan of. Because uh, once again, I don't like shopping. And when you shop over uh, in that region of the world, it's all about bartering and bargaining. G- give me a straight price. Don't make me do that. I just, I just want to be told a price and I want to buy it, you know. So that's, that's why I didn't, I didn't go to that market again. Some people went and bought some stuff. Karen, did you do that while you were there? You went to the market and probably bartered for You didn't do that one? Okay, so uh, some people like to do that. I do not. Valerie would have been in heaven if she was there. She loves that kind of thing, but I did not. So that's the kind of streets we walk. So I didn't like that too much. It was pretty cool sometimes, though, that we would descend underground and see the original streets of Jerusalem. So this was under a convent in Jerusalem, and so we're seeing underground. So some of those stations were underground. You're seeing there uh, the old streets of Jerusalem. So we went down, we saw these archways we saw more along the way. So that's actually us on the old road, in the old Via Dolorosa. So that was pretty neat. You'll see that brightly lit square in the middle. That's over some etchings in the sidewalk. Um, where So, for instance, when we read in the scriptures that the, uh, the soldiers cast lots or played games to take Jesus' clothes. Well, that, for instance, that could be the spot where it was. Now, what they have gathered is that that's probably from a later time. But those are the kind of things that we saw when we went underground and saw the Via Dolorosa. And so when you got to a station of the cross, this is what you saw. And so that's, it's kind of anticlimactic. I'm not sure what else you want it to be, but you'll see underneath this uh, circular monument here, it says a two. It says two statio, so second station. So this is what each station of the cross looked like as we were winding through the streets of Jerusalem. So uh, it's still neat in general, but once again, I, I probably could have done without it if you want my honest opinion. These stations of the cross in the Via Dolorosa wove its way and eventually ended up at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which you've probably heard that term before. It is the church that is believed to be the location all under one roof of Golgotha, Uh, the embalming stone where Jesus was embalmed, and then the empty tomb, all under one roof. The thing about the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is that some of the churches I've been able to take pictures of from the front, and they're beautiful from the front. This is kind of in the midst of the city. There's a lot of stone walls around it, so there's not a very good vantage point to see this church. It's hard to call it a beautiful church because, quite frankly, it's not. Um, It dates back quite a ways. Um, There is a little bit of a better, better picture we might be able to get. Um, Let me go back up a second. Well, I don't think I included it in the slideshow. Um, But around this church, there are different little chapels um, belonging to various denominations. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre was venerated early on. So from a very early time, this was considered a location of Golgotha, the embalming stone, and the empty tomb. But like most sites that we've talked about, it was continually destroyed rebuilt, destroyed, rebuilt through various kinds of invasions and things like that. What we see today are the remains of a a construction in the year 1149. So it's still a fairly old church. The site is currently maintained by the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Armenian Christian Church, the Coptic Christian Church, the Syrian Orthodox Christian Church, and the Ethiopian Orthodox Christian Church. They're working harmoniously together to maintain this church. That was a lie they are not working very well together. In fact, that's part of what we learned here, is that this site is is the site of a couple of brawls. On a hot summer day in 2002, a Coptic monk moved his chair from its agreed spot into the shade. And this was interpreted as a hostile move by the Ethiopian Christian Church, and 11 were hospitalized after there was a fight. In another incident in 2004, during the orthodox celebration of what's called the exaltation of the cross, a door to the Franciscan chapel was left open. So this was taken as a sign of disrespect by the Orthodox Church and a fistfight broke out. Some people were arrested, but thank goodness no one was seriously injured. Okay, so yeah, y- y- you think we've had a few difficult discussions at First Baptist Church? It-, it could be worse, folks, let's just leave it at that. Think about that as we head downstairs in a few minutes and talk about the use of our facilities and finances. This site is maintained by all of these churches based on an old agreement called the status quo from the 18th century uh, of nine shared religious sites. So the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is one of those. The Church of the Nativity is one of those, which we've talked about before. So there are agreements amongst religious communities on how to maintain those sites that was put forth by the Ottoman Sultan Osman III in 1757, an arrangement... Um, of agreement, but the whole idea is they can't change anything. They've agreed to keep it as it is, and they would have to have agreement from all of these different churches to change something. I want to show you something kind of fascinating. This is a little bit better. Look at the church. Maybe if there is a vantage point, this would be one, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You really approach it just by way of a courtyard, and you really can't see a lot. It's just kind of a big building. Um, You can't see it now, but if I zoom in on the picture that you see up there, you'll see a ladder. There is a ladder that has been sitting there since the 1700s, because once the agreement was enacted, no one dared move that ladder, because they couldn't agree to it. That ladder has been sitting on that windowsill since the 1700s, because all of those churches would have to come to an agreement in order to move it. So it is left there, uh, for literal reasons, they can't move it because no one has agreed to move it, but it's also a symbol of maybe where we get it wrong as Christians. It's also symbolic of sort of the sad state of those arrangements between those individual churches and how they can't work together. So that's, that is called the, literally the immovable ladder, and it is a worldwide known symbol that sits atop uh, the church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, just to let you know, you might wonder, well, who, who gets to unlock the church? Who locks the church? Who cleans it? Well, what they decided to do is they decided to put a couple of Muslim families in charge. And so it is actually a couple of Muslim families that unlock, that are keeping the peace around there, that unlock the church, lock the church, and they are doing a very good job considering all of the circumstances. So that's just something interesting to keep in mind. This is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre once again. What you're looking at right there is an entrance that's not used, but that ascends to what is called Golgotha, or the Hill of the Skull, or Calvary, where Christ was crucified you can't access it from the outside but once you enter into the church you can go up into a loft uh, up there and you can see there's a big greek orthodox shrine around a stone you can't quite see it i actually did not ascend the stairs it was incredibly crowded we were told you know you're going to see a big altar up there and you'll see a little rock popping to the floor if you want to go see it you can Um, So this is Calvary, this is Golgotha, this is the hill on which Jesus was crucified, at least according to the churches that maintain the agreement there. When you come back down the stairs, you can see all the ornate uh, hangings and decorations that are typical of these Orthodox churches that I've just mentioned. Um, But what you'll see here is a painting where Jesus is laying on a flat stone Uh, being embalmed before his burial. So Jesus has been crucified and killed on the cross, but he was also buried as is recited in all of the ancient confessions and creeds. So they had to embalm him as we just read in the scripture. And so what we have in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is the stone on which Jesus was embalmed. You'll see people leaning over, touching the stone. There are people crying wiping it with oil Um, there's another picture of people laying on it putting their heads on it it's still a moving moment you know we we may sit here and think you know that's a little that's a little crazy I don't know if I can get down with it it's still a moving thing and you can feel God's spirit at work when you see Christians from all over the world who are moved by uh, the the stone and moved by Golgotha and moved by the empty tomb Uh, an affirmation of our faith I think is a worldwide church And so this is the shrine built over the empty tomb. Once again, we did not go down there. The line would have been about three hours long had we wanted to wait. Some of you might be saying, Jeremy, you you don't get to go to the Holy Land very often. You should have waited. But we had other things to see. Um, So we just saw the shrine from the outside. Um, I didn't know if I included a picture of what it would look like, but I didn't. But this is built over what is believed to be the tomb tomb. Uh, of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, and so you can actually wait in line, go through that shrine, descend further down, and enter into a cave uh, that for a very long time has been regarded as the site where Jesus was uh, buried and where Jesus was resurrected. Our last stop on the entire, entire trip was at a place called the Garden Tomb, The Garden Tomb is a place that has something very fascinating that you'll want to look at. This is a picture that was taken um, in the 1800s, I believe. Um, That's the hill, or that's the area uh, where the Garden Tomb is located. But if you zoom in a little bit, and you see what's inside that circle, what does it look like? Does it look like a skull? What was Golgotha called or translated as? The Place of the skull. This whole time, I've told you, it's not like some man was wandering around in the 1800s and decided, hey, this place looks like it might be the place where this happened. Well, guess what? Back in the 1800s, a man was wandering around this site and said, hey, there's a skull on a hillside. I bet there's something about this place. Uh, So uh, there was a nonprofit established on this location, and it just so happens that they found an empty tomb nearby as well. So... There are some people who think, well, maybe this was it. It's not really grounded in history. It's not grounded in tradition. Before the 1800s, there was no regard for this location as the location of where Jesus was crucified. But there is a hillside that looks like a skull. Now, that is more of a modern notion. The reason that Golgotha was likely called the place of the skull is for very obvious reasons. It was a crucifixion hill. There were people crucified there so that people could uh, spit at and mock those who were being crucified when they walked by. The fact that the hill looked like a skull is more of a modern notion, but still fascinating all the same. Um, so this is what you can see. It's still got some grass grown over it now, so you can't quite make it out. But that is uh, what on this site called the Garden Tomb is called Skull Hill. The Garden Tomb is a nonprofit site uh, maintained and kept up The people who uh, run that site, they, they don't make any claims that this is the site where Jesus was crucified. They don't say this is the site where Jesus was buried. They don't say this is the site where the empty tomb is, although there are some things there that certainly make it work. For instance, what you're seeing right now is an old tomb on a hillside there, not too far from the hill that you just saw. You can see us going into the tomb there. You you really can't see it too well. um, But you can enter that tomb, and you can see uh, where there was a tomb there. Now, we know there was a tomb there. In fact, the reason we know this probably isn't Jesus' tomb is because this tomb actually dates back to about the 8th century B.C., which is pretty incredible. Do you know why that could not have been Jesus' tomb? Because it was a new tomb that Joseph of Arimathea uh, gave to Jesus. So if this tomb was from the 7th or 8th century BCE, probably not the place Jesus was buried because we know he was buried in a new tomb. Now, the garden tomb location, once again, is not intended to say, well, we can come over here and check this out. We think this is where all this happened. Uh, it's meant to be more of a worshipful location that looks more like what that area would have looked like in that time. When you approach the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, there are crowds all over the place, there are guards all over the place, there's walls all over the place. So to get the sense that you're somehow on Calvary Hill or you're next to an embalming stone or even a tomb that now has a massive shrine built over it, you kind of lose the reverence and the awe of what that might look like in its most natural state. So the garden tomb is intended to to be more of a, a retreat type location. We actually had a worship service to get there together, took of Lord's Supper together, uh, and I can tell you it was much more worshipful there in that area, in that beautiful garden, uh, that tomb that we had just seen, uh, thinking about the cross, it, it was much more worshipful there than we could have ever hoped for in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now, they do have worship services in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, one for each of those denominations. It's not to say that it can't be worshipful there. Uh, but this is what the garden tomb was all about, to give us a, a better idea of what it would have looked like or what it would have felt like to be in that area. Once again, we can't be totally sure. And even to cap all of this uh, off, uh, there are reasons to doubt some of the, uh, the history of the location. I told you early on, we can't be entirely sure that what happened happened in these locations. We can affirm that Jesus was, was crucified, was buried, and rose again. We can't always be sure exactly where it happened. One of the reasons that we know that is because we know Jesus was crucified outside the city. He would not have been crucified inside the city. And so there are uh, some agreements among scholars that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is located inside the old city walls. And so it's very possible that Jesus could have been buried near there. But if it's inside the walls, he wouldn't have been buried there. That's one of those things that we ha- sort of have to leave to our imaginations and we can still affirm the, the 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 actual literal event of the crucifixion, the burial and the resurrection even if we don't know exactly where it happened. Once again, that's not the point of this Holy Land trip that I took. And I want to close on this note. We've heard a lot today about was this site the site or was it not? Is it this church's side or is it this church's site? We've heard about the fights amongst Christians on these sites that you would think that coming together on the side of Jesus' crucifixion and burial and resurrection, you'd think that Christians could learn to get along and to manage those in harmony. And so that may be disappointing to us. And if we look at it that way, sure it can. But I think the one important thing that we can all remember about the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, is that Jesus did something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. When Jesus was killed on the cross, our sins were forgiven. Our sins were washed clean, which we could not do on our own. So I don't care if it's on Skull Hill or the Garden Tomb or the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. For all I know, there are other sites that maybe they claim to be that site. What I do know is that wherever it happened, Jesus died. Jesus died for the world and for the forgiveness of our sins and the forgiveness of my sins. And in that, I take comfort, and it was a worshipful trip. At the same time, I don't know where the empty tomb is. They have found several old tombs in Jerusalem and throughout the Holy Land. We will never probably know this side of heaven exactly which tomb Jesus arose from. But I know that he did. And I know that because he came forth from the tomb, that the stone was rolled away, Uh, I have hope for resurrection in Jesus Christ as well. And church, I think that would be an important thing for us to remember. In these trying times, in these times where it seems like all the, the news is bad, We believe that we are in a new era, an era that gives hope, and that God is reconciling all things into, uh, into himself. That was an important reminder for me. It was an important reminder for me in the holy city that, as I've mentioned before, has been the site of so much bloodshed and war. There is still something that overcomes all of that. There is still something, an event that happened 2,000 years ago that overcomes the bloodshed there, that overcomes the bloodshed here. It is the saving power of the cross and the hope of the resurrection. Let's pray together.